surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with Taylor Nolan. I am your host, and today is going to be kind of a little bit of a piggyback episode off of our last episode with Ken, Um, and really excited to kind of get into this episode today because uh, we're going to talk with Josh, and he's the co-author of Struggle Well with Ken, and is also the executive director of their uh, institute, Boulder Crest. Um, So again, kind of a little bit of some of the... uh, uh, post-traumatic growth work with different veterans and different kinds of uh, trauma experiences. But Josh has a very different kind of background uh, where he was not at all really related to um, the military life growing up and um, I think has a story that many people will be able to relate to. So um, without any further ado, so hi, Josh. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Taylor. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm really excited to get into this conversation with you as it's a little bit of like the flip side kind of of what I spoke about with Ken in our last episode. Um, You kind of have a little bit of a different background but are involved in some of the same work. Um, So I'd love to kind of like start off this conversation just getting um, a little bit of a little bit more of your background. I mean, in our initial call, um, absolutely loved how you kind of started telling me a little bit of your story, um, how, you know, you were very opposite in the sense that you had no military um, upbringing. So would love to hear you kind of walk us through your story a little bit of how you kind of got uh, connected with Ken. Absolutely. So uh, I tell people I grew up as, as what I call an indoor Jew in Dallas, Texas. And, and that means <laughs> I was somebody who was raised um, to use my mind and not my hands, right? I'm not handy with things. I don't mm-hmm. sleep outside. I don't go camping. Um, my job was to be smart and get a profession and, and make the family proud. Yeah. And I did a good job of that. And for, uh, I went to school, uh, to college and graduated in 01 and then subsequently worked for big companies for the next, um, 10 years, uh, 10 or 11 years around the world. And I had, you know, aspects of my life were great and I was married and I had money and, and, and traveled, you know, first class and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and, living and the I life. really came to a point in, in living the life and really, and it was really a life of like money, power, and respect. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like it's kind of a rap song come come alive, and 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 so there was there was facets of it that seemed um, to provide some level of validation and fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it's like there it's was that other parts life, that were under the surface. It's like that life that like everyone thinks that you should have, kind of. Uh, yes, and and it's and Joseph Campbell talks about how you know you have these crises in life when you climb to the top of a ladder and realize it's against the wrong building. Mm. And, and that's what happened. And so in about 2010, 2011, I started to really reflect after my wife at the time had asked me, you know, is this what you want to do with the rest of your life? And she meant my work. And I really took that question to heart and I began to examine my life. And mm. what I concluded was that the life I had constructed, um, was a life that I had no resonance with. And that in a lot of respects, the best, the best analogy for me is the Truman show, which is, it felt like somebody else had built a life given it to me and said, have fun. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't having fun. And, 
and it was it was a lot of respects it was brutal i was totally numbed out um i wasn't surrounded by the kind of quality people that i would want to be surrounded with and and it really led me to a place where i had to make some hard choices and i did and so i got divorced i switched careers i switched friends mm. and i started to try to build a life from scratch that would allow me to feel like it was a reflection of what was inside that what was happening outside mm-hmm. and letting go of all of that stuff, those false things was liberating. And at the same time, it was the most destabilizing and scariest thing I've ever experienced in my life, which ties back to, to being an indoor Jew, right? Who was not trained to pursue adversity, who was not trained to be strong. Mm -hmm. I was trained to be smart. And all of a sudden I'd given away everything that gave me value. And Mm -hmm. so I was sitting there in the world, really feeling, feeling exposed, feeling totally vulnerable in a place where I didn't have language to express how I was feeling. Yeah. I didn't have people I could talk to about it. And I was, I was in a bad place and, and a bad place, meaning severe panic attacks, incredible insomnia, having to drink too much to try to sleep or calm down, mm-hmm. uh, suicidal at times, just in a really, really bad way. And in the midst of that struggle, which, which went on for months and months, uh, mm-hmm. and I was a high functioning person. And I think that's one of the things, um, you know, that, that I see in my civilian brethren, is is we can really fake it right we can really yeah. put on put on that mask and, and go do what has to be done and and at the end of the day come home not be able to sleep and drink too much and all the other things that no one else sees because you keep it behind closed doors mm-hmm. and i was a master at that and and so uh i i realized and and so i was working for a guy at the time whose son had had, had died about my age in my early 30s at the time. And he gave me a book called Man's Search for Meaning, which was by Viktor Frankl, who's a psychiatrist who spent three years in the concentration camps. And I read it and it occurred to me that maybe I should start to focus on someone besides myself in my life. And maybe I should try to be helpful to somebody else mm-hmm. and serve someone, some, serve something. And a week later, I was introduced to a couple who had lost, uh, she had lost her brother to in Afghanistan. He was a Marine. And they asked if I would help them with some veteran stuff. I said, you know, I don't know anything about this world, but I'm happy to. And I started reading about a lot of the issues that veterans were facing, and in particular, um, PTSD and suicide. Mm -hmm. And if I'm being honest, I would read suicide notes, and I was like, I could have written that. I understood what that person was talking about. And so that led me down the path of how can I use aspects of my experience to help other people? Mm -hmm. And... And so I got involved with a couple of different groups and I found myself standing face to face in 2013 with a six foot two, 250 pound former army powerlifting champion uh, who had jumped into Panama named Dusty Baxley. And Dusty and I talked for a while and he, he said, you know, you seem like a good kid. You seem like you, you're well-meaning. You want to help. He said, but you're going to do one thing first. And I said, what's that? And he leaned into my face. So it's like, you know, nose to nose. And he said, nicely, I'll say the polite term. He said, you're going to fix yourself. And you're not going to help anybody else until you help yourself. And, and, and I spent the next week with a group of veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and, and I got to see that even on their worst day, they were the finest people I'd ever met. Um, they gave me strength when I didn't have it. They gave me the courage. They helped me see what I was capable of doing. And, and for the last five years, um, in, in, in large part because of that, I, I've translated and transformed my life into a life of growth and strength and purpose. And, and with a particular focus on veterans, because personally for me, they are the, the men and the women who helped me when I, when I didn't, well, for no reason, right? There was mm-hmm. no reason for them to help me. So that's how I got kind of mixed up 
in a world where I went from not knowing any military veterans to now I spend the vast majority of my time with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, thank you for, for sharing all of that. Um, there's so many parts of that that um, that I find fascinating that I would love to explore a little bit more. Um, you know, going back kind of to the beginning of this where you feel like you're living this like false life. Um, I think so many people struggle with that and find themselves living a life that they think it's what they should do. It's what they should have. It's what should uh, equate to happiness for them. And oftentimes that's really not the case. You know, you kind of have to find your own happiness. And um, it sounds like for you, you knew, knew that you had to kind of make these really big life decisions and change kind of your whole and entire life from work to family. And those are like extremely significant changes to make, um, changing, you know, literally every piece of your everyday life. Um, and you know, it, it makes total sense that you would experience that really high anxiety. And even some of those suicidal thoughts as you're like changing literally the core of like kind of who you are and who you thought you were supposed to be. Um, that's like a really, hard time to go through. And I'm really glad that you were able to then find, you know, this community and this connection, um, within this community of veterans. Um, and I'm, I'm curious for you during that time, if, uh, before, you know, getting connected with this community of people, um, if therapy was ever something that you sought out or if you had found other people to talk to and, you know, open up about some of this, uh, intense anxiety you were experiencing and even these suicidal thoughts. You know, I, I, so my, my journey is interesting. My father's a physician and he's a male health advocate and he, and he's been that way for a long, long time. And so, um, I've always been kind of in and around doctors and mm. I didn't sleep. So when the, if we go back in the story, like when I was in college, my junior year, my mom got diagnosed with, with stage four B lymphoma and was told she had two years to live. My grandfather is my favorite person on earth died of heart failure. And so mm. that was when I started not sleeping. And for 10 years, I slept an hour a night and I never told anybody. I didn't tell the doctor, not because I was hiding it, but because for some reason I normalized it. Yeah. And, and so it was amazing. So you'd be like, Oh, how'd you sleep last night? I was like terrible. Right. And you know, I would tell like friends, but I didn't, it didn't add up. It was like a series mm. of one night of bad sleep as opposed to a trend. And mm. so um, that was one part of the the interesting part of the struggle was I was smart enough to know better, but for some reason I sort of deluded myself to thinking yeah. I was all right. Um, I think I that's, go- that's so normal though. Like, <laughs> it, you know, to know better, but then to just make it your own normal and like to silence all of that. Like you don't really share it with other people. Like you might be like, oh yeah, I had terrible sleep, you know, but that that's just kind of something that people just say sometimes, you know, and people get used to it. And it's like, oh yeah, you, know, you usually don't get good sleep, uh, but they don't really actually know the extent of it. And to you, you know, not fully opening up about it um, is a way to kind of like protect that. It is. And when you look, I mean, I was talking to my father about this last uh, over Thanksgiving and I was like, you know, dad, I went to some really good doctors and I went to one for a bunch of stomach issues. I went to another for a bunch of sleep issues and I finally dealt with it. And, and I was like, and at no point was any like anyone like, Hey, like, are you okay? Because mm-hmm. cause we don't see anything wrong with you on, like, any images or tests. But something's going on. Because obviously, you know, this is not phantom. Yeah. And it's interesting. And I, when, when I think and, they, and, you know, you look at some of the conditions that exist, but, but sleep issues and, and, and stomach issues and GI issues, generally there's that track back to, to stress, to anxiety, to, to basically a system that's not functioning the way it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. And so, so when I started struggling and, 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 and 
you know, what was great for me was so my best friend in the world is an English guy who I went to college with. And I called him and I was like, hey, you know, I, I don't think I'm doing okay. And he said, well, why don't you call my brother-in-law, who is a child psychologist. And so I called uh, Seb and, and we had some amazing conversations and he spoke some hard truths. He obviously wasn't my uh, therapist because it's not the relationship we had. Mm-hmm. But he, he was probably one of the most instrumental people in the outset who helped frame um, what was likely to happen with my, my marriage, who helped frame what was likely to take place. And he said to me, he goes, you know, your friends will be there for some period of time. He's like, but you should probably go get a professional because at some point your friends are going to get tired of listening to you. Hmm. And uh, so I asked around and it's not like, you know, people don't brag about their therapist that often. Mm -hmm. So it's not the easiest thing to figure out who to go to. Um, And I went to, to one gentleman and I went four times and it was extravagantly expensive, no insurance. And he was just you know, I was at a point where I was not, I was in a fragile state and yeah. he was, he was cruel. He was mean. Hmm. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, couldn't keep going back. Cause it was like, I can't go back for more lashings. Yeah. And, and then I went to, um, uh, another person, a, a woman who I went to and she, her method was more of like, kind of like a wall or a mirror. And she didn't say much. And, it, mm-hmm. and, and in a lot of respects, I found that very frustrating. The good news was as, as, even in the worst case, I found myself once to twice a week, I had an appointment with myself. And mm-hmm. throughout the week, I would write down things that came up. And I would sit in that room and I would talk about them. And, and in some respects, uh, I think one of the reasons why I, I switched careers, I'm doing what I'm doing now with mental health, is because I think I had to figure out a lot of stuff on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but that venue provided me with a space to do it. And, and then I started to find my way and this is really where I think the veteran and military community, um, you know, they get a knock for like not wanting to talk about stuff and not wanting to be, you know, the term is vulnerable. It's not my favorite word, but it's, it's a term that people use. And that's not what I found. I found in these men and women a capacity and willingness to have deep and profound conversations about life yeah. so that when you say like, hey, you know, I really was struggling with, you know, thoughts of suicide. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, me too. And you talk about it. And there was nothing abnormal about any of the conversations. Mm-hmm. And and so it was an interesting uh, insight into a group of people who had dealt with things that most people don't deal with, like especially death, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and who had a capacity to do it. So so I found a, a bit of a mix um, in different people. Mm-hmm. And, and what I also found was when I was willing to open up about both my struggle and my strength and my growth, that people I knew were a lot deeper than I would have ever given them credit for. I unlocked like a doorway to parts of their life that they wouldn't normally share with people. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's so true. So I just want to take a quick little break to remind you listeners um, about a guest that I had on the podcast a few episodes ago um, talking about self-confidence and um, that was with Daisy who started the Banish Company and the company I'm really, really excited to partner with because um, they're not like into all the marketing schemes and like it's just a really authentic brand and her story is like very, very relatable and takes like a lot of courage to like own your stuff like that, you know, and to go out there and like create a product that's going to work for you when you've tried so many products and nothing's worked. Um, and so she has the banisher kit, uh, which has a banisher and then also the banish oil. And so 
It really helps to like actually uh, repair your skin, help your skin repair itself. Um, and then the vitamin C serum uh, is in the Banish oil and it's com- like completely natural, like no artificial dyes or colorings or fragrances or artificial preservatives. Um, one of my favorite things about the Banish products is that they're actually made fresh to order, which is like very personalized. Um, and then you have a 30-day money-back guarantee policy um, and I've absolutely loved using their products, um, their vitamin C serum, and um, they have like a activated charcoal mask that I love using too. Um, they're just really, really great. And I just want to give another little reminder to you guys to check them out. Uh, you can check out all their different products at Banish.com. So don't forget to take a little mental note to uh, head on over to Banish.com and check out their products. But um, we can get back on track with the show now. Um. I appreciate you opening up about your experiences in therapy. Um, I think it's it's always so interesting for me to hear other people's um, experiences to to kind of reflect on my own as as a client, um, not as a professional. Um, and you know, it, it can be really hard to like find that person that like really actually meshes with you. And um, it, it sounds like you kind of had some of the skills and tools already to kind of like process things on your own and then were able to find a community to share that with that felt maybe more authentic and more connecting and fulfilling for you than um than the therapist that you were able to find uh but yeah like their their approach can make such a difference like if you're not if you're not in that place where you're like I'm ready to be challenged I'm ready to like you know really get to work on it like if that's not like your kind of style and that's your therapist style like totally going to clash there. Um, and I'm curious, you, you said that you don't really like the word vulnerable and I use that word so much. And I'm really curious for you, like what, what other word you'd like to use or, or what, what your thought is around that word. Cause it's one that we use on the pod a lot. So would love to hear where you're at with well, that. And, and I, um, and I know, cause I was listening to some of the, the past podcasts and I, and I heard it and, and I know it's a common word, and I love Brene Brown to death. And yeah. It's amazing. So, so I think the reason why I would say that, and, and I actually, and I was thinking about this because I have a bit of a visceral reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And not a big one, but, but a bit of one. And in part, you know, I work around these, these warriors, right? These are like hardy men and women who've been to war. They've done things that I can't fathom doing and still wouldn't do. And, and so vulnerability, I think, both in a physical terms is not something that, that, that I would ever use with them. And, and interestingly, when we talk about being people of integrity, about being authentic and being honest, mm-hmm. um, those words are, are essentially the synonyms for vulnerable to me. And mm-hmm. so like, like when we say, you know, and talk about the need to, for example, like as a military metaphor, empty your rucksack. So they carry these giant rucksacks, you know, you see the example of a military person carrying this heavy backpack. And the idea is we carry a lot of stuff around with us in our lives that we don't talk about and we yeah. don't think about that impacts our ability to engage today. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, like, we need to look at that. We need to talk about that stuff. And so we don't put – but it's interesting because that word to me can be a um, – like almost a, a, a detriment or it can be a dis, uh, something that actually disincentivizes men, I think, in particular mm-hmm. from being willing to have hard conversations where if I just – you know, if we just talk about, we talk about shame, we yeah. talk about guilt, and we talk about the importance of, of being honest. And, 
And, and, you know, one of our favorite stories is that the Hanoi Hilton, these prisoners of war who had all been tortured and, and all, all gave it up, right? They, they violated the code of conduct and they wouldn't talk to each other because they were ashamed of what they had done, but they had all done the same thing. Hmm. And I think so much in life is what that life is about. I mean, we all do things that we're not proud of, mm-hmm. and, and we use those as reasons why we won't connect, engage, and be authentic with other people. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's almost this cosmic joke of, like, we're all in our own cells. We're trapped mm-hmm. in our own cells of our own making. And so I think, um, I think the, the vulnerability, and you using the term, I don't have any issue with you using it, mm-hmm. and I, I appreciate that term. I think for me, because I think language is so important, yeah. um, I, I don't find it, like, when someone says that to me, I don't get the same reaction where I'd be like, hey, you, I, I want to live an authentic and honest and open existence where I'm willing to go anywhere and have a conversation about my life with anybody. And 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 I'll do that. I'm happy to do mm-hmm. that. But like if someone was like, oh, you know, thanks for being vulnerable. I'm like, oh, that just it just feels different to me. I can't, yeah. you know, it just, you know, that just is what it is. I guess we're mm-hmm. all a little bit different. See, I, w- I would wonder, you know, in, in your first uh as you first started talking about it, you're like, well, you know, because we're like working with these like warriors, you know, and like, they're like so strong and like, they've been through this stuff. And, um, it's, it's, I'm, I'm wondering then if, if part of, you know, the, the word of vulnerable and the act of being vulnerable still has this association with like not being strong and of being like, you know, especially like for men of, of being this, like, you know, scary but like warm and cozy and like women feminine thing that happens um that where it doesn't feel appropriate to use in that kind of setting maybe or maybe where you know I, at first I, I will say I think it's it's good to recognize where language is important and where people can be extra sensitive to that um and I think given your population and, and using those words authentic and talking about shame and stuff is super great. And I can see where people might respond to that differently than they would vulnerable. Uh, but it's always so just curious to me um, how, how, like why someone would, would respond that way, you know? You know, it, Taylor, it feels like, I guess the best way I would think about it, it's like, it feels like if you're vulnerable, you're vulnerable. Can't even say it now. <laughs> then you're you're compromised, right? That you're mm-hmm. exposed in some um, adverse way yeah. that that has the potential to cause you harm. And and, and so, it is that is so true. I mean, that's right. exactly what but, it is. <laughs> right. But my and my view is that as that being willing to be open and authentic. And, and, and James Stockdale was this amazing, amazing guy. Spent. Uh, I think Stockdale seven and a half years in the Hanoi Hilton as a prisoner of war. Just mm-hmm. an amazing, amazing man. And he talks about being able to live your life with an integrity that you can never be extorted or blackmailed for any actions you've engaged. And mm-hmm. it's like that sort of life that I think about is is actually like letting your secrets go, is 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 letting go of what you hold on to, of things you've done and you're not proud of. And it may not be telling everybody everything all the time, mm-hmm. but 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 having a group of people you can do yeah. is, is in fact an act of strength. And mm-hmm. it doesn't actually open people up to hurt you. It opens you up to be able to confront the the, the manners in which you're imperfect. And, and, you know, whatever, Brene Brown's book, right, The Gifts of Imperfection, mm-hmm. I think speaks to that. And so that's to yeah. me when I look at that language, I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't believe that when I stand up in front of people and talk about, you know, some of the things I might have done or some of the ways I acted or my life that I created that was false. Like, I don't feel like I'm exposed to anything. I feel like I'm actually on top of it mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I'm stronger for it. And so I think 
That's yeah. the interesting part. But I, I agree with you. And, I, and then there's some beautiful discussions. And I've been having them this week about toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. about talking to kids and young men and, and those sorts of things. And I think that the challenge is getting the language right is, mm-hmm. is important because these issues are so sensitive that and it goes to the point about the therapist, which is we are so like if, if we treated therapy the dates the way we did therapists, mm-hmm. we would be in big, big trouble, right? We'd yes. go on two dates. <laughs> we'd be like, those were terrible. I'm never dating again. I'm going to go get a cat and sit in my apartment on yes. my own. And that's what we would do. But with a therapist, we go to like two and we're like, oh, they all suck. Yep. And we like, I'm not going. And so and, and in part because like you said, we don't know what to look for. So we don't know you go mm-hmm. into somebody and you're like, well, I don't understand that they're therapist styles, right? I don't know they're this lady's mm-hmm. just sitting there. She's not doing anything. I'm like, I kind of want her to do something, but I don't know what. Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> and that's the interesting part to me is like, so anything we can do to smooth out that path mm-hmm. that allows people to access it. And, and in our experience, the power of the peer, the power of people who have been there and done it, who are willing to disclose before they ask you to do hard things goes a long way. And mm-hmm. I think- if you believe what we believe, which is that the military community is distinct and, and in some ways has, you know, deals with trauma at a level that most of us can't contemplate, then if we can do things that work in that community, they ought to work for the rest of our community mm-hmm. and the rest of our country, the rest of our globe, our communities. So that's kind of the thesis or the hypothesis of our institute is, well, hey, if it works for the community, that's very, very difficult to engage with. It's not that prone to have these discussions and so on and so forth. Then, then maybe there's stuff we can translate back into the, the regular community and say, hey, you know, this is what we're learning about what seems to address these issues of people not being willing to go get help, uh, people not being willing to engage when they do get help and not being kind of an active participant, people dropping out of treatment mm-hmm. and, and so on and so forth. And that's, I think, where we see these challenges is like, you know, this community, I mean, the military community is crazy. It's 50% mm-hmm. won't go to the mental health folks, which is the same in the general population. 80% drop out of treatment before they complete it. Mm-hmm. And only 30% have meaningful benefits from treatment. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a good story. It's 3% of everyone in need who gets help. And so when you look at that, you're like, you've got to figure out some ways to innovate and create a different model. And in part, we do that. And what you do and have these conversations is part of that, which is breaking down these barriers that you have to go into an office that's private to have these conversations. It's like, no, 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 we can do this in public. Mm-hmm. And it's important to do this in public because this is part of being human. This, yeah. is what the, this is what this is all about, whether we like it or not. Yeah, and it's. I'm glad you make that point because uh, it reminded me uh, earlier this week, I went back to my therapist. She was on maternity leave and uh, was sharing with a friend. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, just actually was getting off the phone with someone else. I was just like processing what I talked about in therapy. And then they were like, oh, well, do you want to talk about it? Or like, if you're like, if you've already processed it with someone else, like we don't have to talk about it. And I was like, well, no, like, yeah, what I talk about in there is like private, but I also like to then share it with other people so that they better understand like what I'm working on in my life and, you know, what's going on with me. And then I also get a different perspective and get, you know, a deepening of connection with each other person that I talk to about it. So um, it's just an interesting thought that like, yeah, what we talk about in therapy is this like private thing, but it doesn't have to be. We can also then share and I'm going to say be vulnerable and uh, open up ourselves to being seen by the other people in our lives. And absolutely to Brene Brown's point of like, you don't just do that with, you know, 
everyone willy-nilly, but that, you know, maybe finding people that have really earned the right to hear your story and that you can trust with your heart um, is a good place to start. And it sounds like, um, you know, talked a little bit with Ken about this and your program and how you guys do like the, the peer support and how important that is, but of like developing that community. And I swear it's like, every episode this is like i can't i cannot like drill this point in anymore of how important social support is and how important having that community is um and it it can be a scary step to open yourself up and say you know this is what i'm dealing with this is what i've seen this is what i've experienced and i'm hurting in this way um but like you said uh you can be surprised sometimes by how people will react and that you you might realize, oh, wow, this person was a lot deeper and I can actually have a much deeper connection with this person than I would have given our relationship credit for. And I think that's the really beautiful thing about the risk that we take in in opening ourselves up. It is, and, and I think it's, you know, and I, a couple of thoughts that I have, and, and one is you know, I'm obviously very outspoken about my own struggle and, and, and I'm totally fine with that. And it, just as an example, so my brother lives in New York City, and we do these steak nights from time to time. So I'll go up and see my niece and nephew, and we'll go to dinner with his friends. And after dinner, I'll be like, hey, you know, your friends, you know, it's like, they're not doing that great. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, well, no, they're doing great. And I'm like, well, yeah, maybe you think that. But when he goes to the bathroom, they all reach over to me and start asking me questions about struggling with their marriage, about not really liking what they're doing for a living. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's something interesting. Like, I have some mark on my forehead that says <laughs> I'm... I'm somebody, and I'm, I'm good with it, right? It's like I'm the one who's willing to talk about the stuff that people don't want to talk about. And because of that, people feel comfortable coming to me because mm-hmm. whether it's just because like they're like, well, I'm not as bad as he was, that, which I'm totally good with. I don't care what their motive is. It's the recognition that our stories have incredible power, mm-hmm. not just to, to let them go like Maya Angelou talks about. There's you know this, this pain and agony of having an untold story within you, but recognizing that that story holds a key to somebody else to unlock a part of themselves that they don't have access to or that they need to be able to let go of is, is really important. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the other part of what you said really reminds me of is I was having this conversation just like uh, in passing, I think it was last Christmas or something. And I was telling someone my story and they were said, you know, this is amazing because so many people have existential crises and then turn around and go back to the life that they were struggling with. And it's like they don't get all the way across the bridge and they end up going back. Hmm. And I, I think about that, this idea that um, it takes a, a hell of a lot of courage to be willing to navigate your own depths. And, and, and that gets into emotional intelligence. It also gets into being willing to ask hard questions and look at yourself honestly. And, and the poet Yates, which is this is interesting in the context of the military folks, Yates said that it takes more courage to explore the dark corners of one's own soul than it does to be a soldier on the battlefield. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a beautiful statement and it's a reminder that it's really hard and it's why it's so important to have people, like you said, who can help you. Mm-hmm. And I do think when I, when, when I have people, and this is kind of the general story, someone's like, I'm not happy in my job, I'm not happy in my relationship. And, you know, what I did, which is essentially like rip the, the, the tablecloth off the table and hope that the dishes didn't break and they all broke, mm-hmm. is, which I'm not sure I recommend, <laughs> but it's really, it's really hard to find the people that, like, if you believe what we believe, that you're the average of the three to five people you spend the most time with, it's hard to find good people. And so you can find them in, like, Al-Anon groups and in 12-step groups sometimes. Um, you might be able to find them at a spin class or a yoga class and people who are trying to be healthier in mind and body. But as a general statement, 
that's what people report to me is really hard to find. And it's hard to find the social support that's supportive versus the social support that's like, hey, let's go, let's go get some drinks, right? Let's go, you know, and and that's the hard part is where do those people hang out? And, And I'm lucky because I hang around with people who insist upon you being a principled person and being an honest person. And that is the joy and the blessing of military experience that they bring that we don't often think about is that they are in a culture and a world where they have to accept people from all different backgrounds without judging them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I wish for everybody, but I don't, there's no good answer as, you know, where do you find these people? Um, I don't know. You know, yeah. you just have to go try things you weren't trying before because mm-hmm. you'll stumble onto people you haven't stumbled upon and, and you'll make mistakes and you'll meet, you know, you'll repeat some of the tests you have, but, but it is that social support is so important mm-hmm. and it's also really challenging. And, and, you know, so I don't, I don't have great guidance except try out places where people seem to be trying to be a better version of themselves. Yeah. And I think like the, the weird thing about that is that I think we all have that in us. Um, but we're all kind of doing that thing that you spoke about at the beginning of the episode where, you know, we know what the right thing is to do, but we're just kind of normalizing these other like maladaptive behaviors to, 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 you know, help make us feel a little bit more comfortable to maybe numb or distract ourselves from the pain or the struggles that we're experiencing. Um, but really I think like we all have the, uh, capacity to be that kind of a person. We just don't have all the doors open yet to, to talk about it. You know? I told, yeah, I told, I completely agree that, this is all, and it's what like all of philosophy is written about and a lot of religion is all about it. And it's all about this deep internal connection and this recognition of, mm-hmm. of what life's really about and about connecting with other people at this deep level. And I've experienced that. And I think that, that I'm a great example of somebody who, and everyone's like, well, how could you possibly, you know, you're an indoor Jew. How could you go hang out with these military people? And mm-hmm. you don't have the bona fides and all these things. And it's like, all you have to be is genuine. Yeah. If you are genuine and you are honest, you can connect with anybody mm-hmm. and or most people. And, and there are people who won't be ready, but, but you might serve as some kind of a role model or an example for those. So I, I totally yeah. agree with you that it's easy to look past uh, the people in our lives who are, like, like we said earlier, are much deeper than we would give them credit mm-hmm. for if we if we had the opportunity to see that part of them. Yeah. Okay. So before we uh, continue, I just remembered um, that I actually just got a new shipment uh, of packages in yesterday and want to remind listeners, um, if you don't remember last episode, I shared one of our exciting new partners, uh, Fabletics by Kate Hudson, and actually just got my shipment in yesterday. And let me point out that the delivery time was super quick. um, And I'm actually upset with these Milla pocket leggings. Um, they are super stretchy, lightweight, durable, comfortable. There's a little pocket in it like where I can just like stick my phone, you know, because I got to listen to music when I'm like working out or just, you know, doing errands, but looking stylish. <laughs> I can honestly basically live in this these leggings all day. They're that comfortable. Um, and if you've never tried Fabletics, I highly recommend uh, starting at their collections page so you can see all the trendy pieces. Um, you take a 60 second uh, little style quiz and it basically personalizes a bunch of items for you. And then 
it's extra, extra exciting. You guys can get two leggings for only $24 and that's at a $99 value. Um, so make sure you guys go to fabletics.com slash Taylor. And then when you sign up for the VIP perks, you can actually get 50% off regular prices uh, with free shipping and additional perks. But make sure that once you um, take that quiz that you also enter in your email address because then uh, you are actually able to get special exclusive monthly discounts and the inside scoop about all kinds of fun collections that haven't actually been dropped yet. So make sure that you guys go to fabletics.com slash Taylor to take advantage of this deal now. You can get two leggings for only $24. It's trendy. It's affordable. It's super freaking cute. So make sure that you guys check out fabletics.com slash Taylor. And now we can get back to the show. I'm curious for you, uh, you know, being someone that um, other people feel comfortable like sharing their story with and, and just kind of coming right out with that, like you spoke about um, at, your, at your brother's, would you say that you were that same kind of person before you started, before you had this whole like existential crisis? Um, you know, like, did you have any of those kinds of interactions with people before, like people seek you out for that kind of stuff or you had that kind of presence or, or energy like in you before? To an extent. Um, my, my mom's a really amazing lady. She's been, she's had cancer for 25 years, stage four B and she's still alive, which is mm. some kind of miracle. Mm-hmm. And she's always been that way, always been a person. And I think, and I take a lot after my mom, I have a lot of her amazing qualities. So to an extent I did, but what I would admit is, although that's true, and I had so I had natural empathy, it's also true that I wasn't listening to those people the way I now understand you sh- you ought to, and people deserve to be listened to. Hmm. And yeah. I, like, and I was listening from my head and, and giving advice and the rest of it, as opposed to listening deeply uh, from from my heart and my soul in in a way in which just listening is is the thing in a lot of instances right it's it mm-hmm. is the mechanism to connect you don't have to solve people's problems you just have to to be able to be there with them and 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 have that space and so um so i'd say to an extent it's not a complete uh kind of creation of like the new the second like 2.0 me mm-hmm. but uh but you know and i and i tend to think in life we will always find these through lines in our lives and so even though i mean i worked I, people get, they tell me I'm getting my karma, right? Cause I worked in big tobacco and big oil before. Okay. So that's what I did. And, and yet, and people, you know, they can't see it, but there's a lot of things that I learned doing those jobs, uh, that are directly applicable to the work I do now. And there's hmm. a lot of instances that you don't think about as important back when you're doing them that hmm. tend to be the major parts or the building blocks of the life that you really want to live. And, yeah. and so that was, I think that's the encouraging part is yes, I, I, I gave away, deconstructed my entire life and moved, moved to a totally different way of living. And just about everything I had learned along that journey was relevant. Hmm. It was not like a total do over, Yeah, you know, Can it you was, give it like was an example, maybe of one of those things, like where it, where it applies a lot to your life now that maybe you, you wouldn't have thought it would. Yeah, I mean, one of the examples is that that when I was working in tobacco, I was working, and I know people will chuckle at this, but I was working on programs to stop kids from smoking. Mm-hmm. And, and at Exxon, we were doing work about malaria and AIDS in Africa. And one of the things that was at the core of both of those projects was an insistence on asking the question why and mm-hmm. digging deeper and not, not accepting superficial answers. And so when I was in New Zealand and we were looking at youth smoking, 
What it came to was real issues in the Maori community, which is an indigenous community in New Zealand, issues with, with fathers not being fathers. Yeah. And so we started to partner and work at that level with fathers because there was a breakdown of community and kids were engaged in self-destructive behavior mm-hmm. because they were in profound pain. And, and so you start to see that and, and that habit of being curious, endlessly curious and passionately curious and always looking for the deeper meaning and the deeper reason is something that helped me in my own life. And it's the very nature of the work we do here to try to get at the root causes of why do people struggle and what do they require to walk that road from struggle to strength and, and to achieve post-traumatic growth or to learn how to struggle well. So that to me is like a major one where my brain was shaped at hmm. never accept superficial answers. And that's what I needed when I was going through my own journey because it would have been easy to move cities and be like, okay, well, I fixed it, right? Yeah. But I took, I, I took an e pray love trip around the world for three months. It was mm-hmm. an amazing, amazing, amazing trip. I had the craziest and most beautiful experiences of my life. Yeah. And when I got home, everything I was running away from was waiting for me. Yeah. It was literally yeah. waiting. And I couldn't look at pictures of my trip because it was that painful to me at that time. Mm-hmm. And so it's a reminder that like you can't, you can run, but you can't hide. Yeah. And, and that's not a bad thing. Uh-huh. You know? I always it, say that. I feel like, uh, especially when relationships end, uh, that I always find that girlfriends and even guy friends of mine, like that that's their immediate thing is like, maybe I'll just move to so-and-so, you know, maybe I should go and just go to this place. And I always say, I'm like, you can go, but you're still going to be dealing with the same things. And once you, you know, you might, you might go live in this country for a year, but then what's after that? Like everything's going to catch up at some point because you are still you, um, no matter where you are. And this is still all part of your story. And the more you try to run away from your story, the more shame you're going to feel, the, like the, the more disconnected you're going to become to people in your life. Like you can't just run away from your story. It's, it's going to be a part of you. And I think, um, part of the work that, that you're doing and that you did of asking these questions of why are going to help you to actually own your story and um, be able to then better connect with other people. And, and, and I totally agree. And then the, the main lesson I learned from all of that, from a life of money, power, respect, and all the rest of it was that the answers aren't out there and the answers are inside. And it often takes other people to help you uh, ask the right question and to be able to dig deep and find the right answer, but that we have those answers within us. And so, yes, changing locations can help and create stimulus and catalysts mm-hmm. and all the rest of it, fine. But the truth is the answer is not out there. It's not in L.A. or Seattle or Vancouver or New Zealand. And, and I've been all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's inside of you. And what's striking is, and, and I'll come back to that story of the, the guys at the Hanoi Hilton who were in these, these prison cells, is they were forced to confront that because they were confined in, in these most absolutist terms. And what they, what they teach us, to me, is really profound about how, what we can do in our own lives. And it's mm-hmm. like when someone's like, everything was taken, including my name, the same with Viktor Frankl at the concentration camps, and what you realize is, is it actually focuses you and forces you to reckon with what the point of life is. And mm-hmm. those folks are the ones who came back and have the answers that can help shape and guide the rest of us. And so we don't always have to look for, excuse me, social support in the form of real people. Mm -hmm. We can also use books and people who've come before us. And that helped me the most, to be honest, was was books, was Joseph Campbell, Viktor Frankl, the -hmm. guys at the Hanoi Hilton. Because there's something true, and I say this to people and I kind of laugh, is, 
you know, people who are dead can't really disappoint you. You know, <laughs> yeah. you don't, they don't have scandals. You don't find out stuff about them. Usually if they've been dead for 50 years, mm-hmm. it's like they are who they are and, or they are who they were. And so there's something peaceful about getting to read and connect with folks. And it also reminds us that we are not alone in this journey. I mean, life is, is a struggle. It is a series of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. It is challenging. And, and, and the fact that those things are true and that there is a way to navigate that with fulfillment and purpose and authenticity and joy and growth is, is our birthright, is the story of like every great story. It's every great movie. It's every great, you know, the plot of everything yeah. is that story. It's that journey of overcoming and those tests. And it's every religious story, you know, Buddha and Jesus and so forth. So, mm-hmm. no, you're absolutely right. Um, and I think uh, a large part of what like our initial conversation and even some of the conversation with Ken uh, was just kind of about like, normalizing people helping people. And uh, I want to kind of, as as we wrap up, I want to um, really kind of discuss this point because it really stuck out to me when, um, when you shared it with me, but was about democ- democratizing mental health. Um, and I thought that was such a beautiful like phrase to use uh, to, to like to describe it in terms of where we can go in order to help ourselves and to help other people. And um, I think it's so beautiful, like your journey and really appreciate you sharing it all. Um, I didn't even know about the tobacco stuff. And I have so many questions about all your experiences, even with that. Like, I'm sure there's so many great stories and uh, great things that, you know, other people could learn from that would love to get into. But, um, you know, just kind of this, this journey as it's taken you where you are now, where like you have this community, you have, you know, I'm, I'm assuming a better sense of like who you are through asking these series of questions of why. And, and, and I, yeah, I mean, I feel like sometimes my life's like Benjamin Button, like in reverse, (laughs) because I've, I've traveled the world. I've had nice things. I've had lots and lots of money. And I'm like, okay, I'm done with all that. And people are like, oh, where do you want to travel to? And I'm like, ah, kind of seeing everything. Like, I actually love waking up every day. And I mean, mm-hmm. every single day. And going to work and reading and studying and reflecting. And, and, and that's the joy that, that is my life now. Mm-hmm. And, and that life exists. And I think that the democratization of mental health is important because what happens when people are in a life struggle is we tend to push them towards uh, experts. We tend to push them towards therapists. And that's not a knock on therapists. I appreciate what, what I know what you do, Taylor, and I think it's important. But there's mm-hmm. only 450,000 uh, yeah. psychologists, psychiatrists, and social workers in this country. And what's yeah. true is before that whole world existed, we mm-hmm. took care of each other. And and I think the call is, and this is what you do on this podcast and what you mentioned with your friend, is is what we can do for each other is is incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. And and we talked a little bit. There's an Indian psychiatrist named Vikram Patel who I was with recently. And Vikram's done amazing work in countries where they don't have like any, they have 5,000 mental health people, professionals in India. Mm-hmm. And so what do you do? You get normal people and you bring mental health to the people where they are in, wrapped in a form that they can connect with, which is as a regular person, no labels, no meds, mm-hmm. just a conversation between people who are trained. But, but I think that's the, the most potent and important part, I think, of what my journey has been about is the recognition that, that there are amazing clinicians in this country. There's no doubt about it. And mm-hmm. there's some really bad ones, too. And, and, and the most important thing we can do in life is realize that we are our brothers and sisters keepers, that yeah. we have an opportunity. And, and the, the best part is it is healing for us to transform our own pain and our own struggle and our own story in ways that benefit the lives of others because it brings more meaning into the things we've been through. 
Mm-hmm. So, so if my time being suicidal has value for another human being, then that means that that time isn't just a, a time in the darkness that was painful and sorrowful. It actually was a time that I experienced. So maybe somebody else didn't have to. Yeah. And that's the beautiful virtuous circle about all of this is that we can use our experiences and stories to help other people and they can do the same. And it just creates this world where we help each other instead of shunting people aside and saying, mm-hmm. oh, you should probably go talk to someone. It's like, why don't you be that person that they can talk to? Yeah. And And that's what my friend's brother-in-law was for me because we weren't that close. But he was a person who, yeah, had training. But he was a friend who listened and who could talk to me at a time when that's what I needed. And I think that's the power of of us as human beings is that we all have that that piece of ourselves that that connects us to each other, which is that that human condition, which is that aspect of struggle. And Mm -hmm. and it's a beautiful beautiful part of life. And it's, it's a wonderful opportunity that we can help each other through this this crazy life that mm-hmm. we all will encounter in one way or one form or another. So so yeah. I'm just I'm grateful for I'm grateful that I'm still here. I'm grateful for veterans who helped me realize that that I wasn't at the end of the road and that I was uh, that there was still light in the darkness that I just couldn't see. Mm-hmm. And and I and and that's the amazing part is I went from all of that to a life where I wake up and I'm grateful every day uh, to be alive. I'm grateful for what I get to do and I'm overflowing with gratitude and joy for the fact that that I get to do what I get to do. So the journey is worth taking because at the end of it is, is a life that you can be proud of, that you can, can look at and be like, yeah, now I can say like, yeah, this is the life that, that I built and that, that I want to live forever, you know, as long as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so beautiful. So yeah, it's amazing. It's been a heck, a heck of a journey. Yeah. And I can't wait to see like all the other things that you're going to continue to do. I mean, uh, you guys put out this book, Struggle Well, where like not only veterans uh, can learn to kind of uh, grow through their trauma in life, but like everyday people can as well. Um, And really, really appreciate all the work that you guys are doing. And even just, I mean, I I love that um, both you and Ken are so outspoken about this stuff and that you guys are like men, you know? I I think we definitely need to see more of that, Um, more of men being feeling strong and feeling powerful by sharing their stories and sharing their emotions and not associating it with being weak um, and encouraging others to continue to do that. Um, I think it's a really, really powerful thing. So I super appreciate you sharing today. No, I appreciate that, Taylor. And I just, I look around and, and, you know, we can get it statistics about, you know, 25% increase in suicide rates since 1999 and on and on. But there is a heck of a lot of struggle in our country, much less the world. And it, it pains me. And I, and I know that that the veteran part of that is a very small number. And so my hope and our, and our desire, and we created this institute for the purpose and wrote the book so that we could start to take on these challenges in the broader world, in part because we recognize that, that veterans and, and warriors who are looked upon as distinct and as strong, and if they're willing to confront their own challenges then they provide the courage that they gave me to other people to say, hey, not only is this okay, but it's critical. Mm -hmm. This is a critical part of your journey. And if you need a guide to walk that road with you to make you feel safe as you take that road, we'll take somebody who who runs to the sound of gunfire and who will make you feel that. And that's why I think there's such potent allies for civilians in this journey is that they're not afraid of that darkness. And Mm -hmm. they can teach us a lot. And to your point, they can teach men what it means to be a complete man. Mm-hmm. And and that is a complete man, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, 
uh, in every facet of our lives. Uh, they they've taught me, and I know that all because that's what they've taught me. Yeah. And and I'm 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 like the uh, I'm patient zero, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and I'm sure that just as much as of you know of what you've learned from them that they've also learned a tremendous amount from you. And I think that's like the beautiful thing about when we do open up with other people, um, you know, that it's always a two way street. Like we're always, there's always something to learn from every interaction that we have and someone else's story can provide so much insight and is an opportunity to also then reflect on, on, you know, your own shit and stuff you've dealt with and how you've experienced it and how they've experienced it and, um, can just be such a, a bonding experience. Um, and, and that's the, sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, so that, and that's the core. So to Rich Tedeschi, who's the founder of this post-traumatic growth, which is the kind of science that we work on the basis of. He's been doing this for 40 years, and he just retired as a professor at UNC Charlotte. He's still a clinical psychologist who sees patients. And Rich, even though he's been doing this for that long, 42 years as a professor, he will tell you that he he is simply a a representative, an ambassador for those who struggle, and that they teach him every single day. And he reminds Mm -hmm. me and all of us that you are never just a teacher. You are always a student. And and that is a core part of my life. It's why I read as much as I do. I try to ingest as much information as possible because I recognize that there will always be far more that I don't know than that I do and that the people around us uh, can enrich our lives in so many ways. And as you said, they can teach us so much about how to live well, how to struggle well, whether it's relationships or principles or whatever it might be. Uh, that's the beauty of life is that we can all teach each other and support each other. And I think that that what you just said is is spot on. And it's it's how I define who I am, which is I'm a student. Mm-hmm. I'm a student of my life. I'm a student of life in general. And and I'll always be that. And if I ever am not, then I've got enough people around me who will who will put me down to size and yeah. make sure that I uh, that I that I stop talking and start listening again. Yeah, they'll, they'll check you on it. <laughs> Yeah. It's good to have these people. They're they're bigger than me. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you so much again. um, I've learned so much from our conversation and um, I'm so glad that we got connected and that you were um, so open with sharing your story. Um, I really appreciate it. I'm grateful to be connected with you, Taylor, and thank you for what you do. It's really important. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode. And um, again, if you want to hear a little bit more of the backstory and some of the stuff we talked about, you can check out the episode 54 right before this with Ken, um, where we talk a little bit more about the programs that they're working on and how that's helping people uh, to process trauma. Um, But feel free to send us emails. You can hit us up at ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And also always love getting reviews from you guys and seeing what you guys are liking about the show on iTunes. So please take a chance and uh, take a second and head on over there. Um, And thank you again so much for all of your support and for listening. And I'll be back next time to talk to you about something new. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Babes and Babies, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. 
Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.